Revelation chapter 16, uh, we'll just be very briefly looking at the end of chapter 15, our main focus will be chapter 16 this evening, as we think of this vision of the seven bowls of judgment, the seven bowls of judgment. Well, you can probably sum up the main things that the book of Revelation wants us to know in just a few lines. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is alive and seated on heaven's throne, number one. Life on earth is a struggle for the church, number two. Evil exists and brings pain, deception and death. God is already judging that evil to some extent now. And finally, Jesus is returning soon and will bring final judgment. That, in a nutshell, is the message of Revelation. But so important are these truths and so vital for Christians to know and remember that they are repeated to us several times over. Boys and girls, when there are important things that your teacher wants you to learn in school or important bits of homework, um, one of the ways, certainly when I was growing up anyway, uh, that we got those things into our heads was by repetition. You repeat them over and over again, whether it's your times tables or whether you're uh, going through Greek or, or uh, Greek verbs. I go through Greek verbs. You probably go through French verbs or Spanish verbs in school. But whether you're going through uh, learning some verbs in French or whether you're trying to do your times tables, repetition, repetition, repetition. Uh, and that explains the way that revelation has been given to us. The same things are being repeated to us but in different ways all throughout the books. And so, as we consider briefly this morning, we have the seven letters to the seven churches. We have the seven seals in the scroll. We have the seven trumpets being blasted. And now in chapters 15 and 16, we have the seven bowls of judgment. And to some degree, to a very strong degree, these different cycles of seven show us the same truths. But they emphasize the importance of those truths to us by the repetition. Chapter 15, verse 1, however, does tell us that we've reached a turning point in the book of Revelation. If you look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. This vision of seven plagues, which each go into a bowl, is the last set of seven in the book. The remaining chapters of Revelation will focus in on the final battle between Christ and Satan, and then the new heavens and the new earth that will come after Judgment Day. And so in chapter 15, verses 5 to 8, John once again sees heaven opening. That's how every cycle of seven has begun in this book. And on this, on this occasion, seven angels are called forth and they're described here as having the appearance of Old Testament priests. Uh, that's what the description of them in verse 6 is, is hinting at, that they look like Old Testament priests, these angels. Each of the angels receives a bowl and each bowl is filled with a plague, the wrath of God. They are bowls of judgment. And once again here, friends, the Old Testament informs what we read in Revelation. One of the jobs of the Old Testament priests was to carry away bowls of the leftovers from the burnt sacrifices. So there would be bowls full of ash and waste from the temple altar 
and it will be disposed of well away outside the temple. And that's the controlling picture here in this chapter that we're, we're studying this evening. That God is disposing of evil and judgment. He is pouring out his wrath upon evil and sin in our world. Now probably as we read through Revelation chapter 16 earlier, a lot of questions came to your mind. At least I hope they did because that means you were paying attention. Um, it's probably not a particularly familiar part of the scriptures and so we are likely to have questions if we read it with any kind of care at all. And so I thought it would be helpful for us this evening in terms of our outline just to try to answer some of the most obvious questions that we might have as we read through this passage of the seven bowls of judgment. So first of all this evening, why are these bowls, why are these bowl judgments described like this? Why is the judgment of God described in this particular way uh, here in chapter 16, uh, that it's these bowls of wrath? Well, first of all, friends, we need to notice that they're described in a familiar way. The judgment of God here in chapter 16 is described in a familiar way. Hopefully our recent reading through Exodus has been helpful as we come to Revelation 16 tonight. Because if you remember the story of the Exodus, these bowl judgments actually sound very familiar. Look, for example, at chapter 16, verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast. The sixth of God's ten plagues on Egypt was the plague of sores or boils which caused physical agony for the Egyptians. Look here at chapter 16, verse 3, the next bowl. A second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died. And verse 4 says, the third bowl does the same thing to the rivers. They're turned to blood. And of course, the first plague that God sent on Egypt in Exodus chapter 7 was the turning of the river Nile into blood and, and the death and, uh, and, and the horror that was caused by that. The fifth bowl here brings dreadful darkness on God's enemies. And that was the ninth plague that God sent on the Egyptians, Exodus chapter 10. A darkness that could be felt, an unnerving, awful darkness. The sixth bowl unleashes frogs here in Revelation 16. That was the second plague that God sent on Egypt. And if you can just try and file this away for now, we'll come back to it later. But you might remember that the the plague of the frogs was one of the plagues that Pharaoh's magicians were able to replicate somehow. Uh, And so they they, they were able to somehow imitate that or do that by their own magic arts. We assume that was demonic power behind that. And so that was one of the reasons why Pharaoh hardened his heart. That his own magicians were able to do this and so he was deceived by the work of his magicians. And likewise here these frogs in Revelation 16, they symbolise the deceptive, misleading power of Satan and false prophets. And we'll come back to that a little bit later on. But these frogs are a symbol of those who lead people astray and who fool them into thinking that they can ignore the warnings of God's judgment. So this vision of the bowls, friends, describes God's judgment on our world 
using very familiar pictures if, if we remember the story of the Exodus. And the point is that what was true on a smaller scale at the time of the Exodus is true on a global scale today. God sent plagues of judgment on just one nation back in the days of the Israelites, the nation of Egypt, led by Pharaoh, because Pharaoh would not repent of his sin. And those plagues that God sent on Pharaoh also served as warnings that far worse would come. And of course, the plagues did get progressively worse. And so they were warnings to Pharaoh, if you do not repent, worse is coming. And of course, that's what's happened, that God sent a final plague which brought death to every house in Egypt. And of course, then he brought death to Pharaoh and his chariots in the Red Sea. And likewise here, friends, these familiar judgments in Revelation 16, they are telling us that that is exactly how God is dealing with our world today. In the pain, in the turmoil, in the things that people might dismiss as natural disasters, in the things that people have to live with, whether it be illness or disease or death. These are warnings to our world today that worse is coming. We're not necessarily necessarily to look for literal oceans or rivers of blood. We're not to be scared of frogs hopping around at the bottom of our gardens. This is symbolic language to emphasize to us spiritual realities. So these bold judgments are described in a way that is familiar. But we also notice from these judgments that they're described in a way that emphasizes that they are fair. They are fair judgments that God is bringing upon our world. Again, just last week in God's providence, we read Exodus 15, the the victory song that Moses and the Israelites sang after God brought them through the Red Sea. And it's interesting if you notice back in Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, that it says that those who are gathered in heaven at the sea of glass, they sing the song of Moses. And notice also here in chapter, uh, uh, chapter, yes, chapter 15, uh, sorry, chapter 16, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 6, it says, uh, uh, sorry, Revelation 16, verse 5. Uh, The angel in charge of the water says, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. And that echoes what the Israelites sang in praise to God after they were brought through the Red Sea. Exodus 15, verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And so both after the events of the Red Sea and here in Revelation... God is praised, friends, because of the rightness of his judgments. There was nothing unfair or questionable about God's judgments on the Egyptians. And likewise, Revelation is telling us that today and at the end of time, there is nothing unfair or questionable about the judgment that God will bring upon the nations of our world. Again, if you look at Revelation 16, verse 5. I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. 
Look also at verse 7 there in Revelation 16. Verse 7. I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your judgments. Notice there that John hears people from the altar saying that, just and true are your judgments. Back in Revelation chapter 6, we were told that the altar is where the, the martyred saints in heaven abide. And the martyred saints in heaven at the altar, they are praying, they're waiting, they're longing for God's justice to be done back in Revelation chapter 6. Here in Revelation chapter 16, they say, yes, at last, God's judgment is being done. And that judgment is fair and that judgment is right. And that's what the bold judgments emphasize to us as well. So they're described like this because they are familiar. They're described like this because they are fair. And the last thing to notice about these bold judgments is that they are described as being final. They're described as being final. Just like with the seven seals and the seven trumpets, the seven bowls climax in the final judgment that our world has not yet seen as we speak here this evening. Bowls six and seven describe the very end of history. We haven't reached it yet, but it is coming. The day of Christ's return, the wrath of God poured out on the whole world. And notice the result of the sixth bowl is that the kings of the earth, that is all the spiritual and physical forces that are in in rebellion against God, uh, the result of bowl six is that they are essentially summoned by God himself for a final battle. Again, they're fooled into thinking that they can defeat God. That's why the frogs are mentioned there in verse six. But in fact, they will be completely destroyed. Look at verse 19. Second half of the verse says, God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. That's that's describing for us here the the destruction of planet earth as we know it. Uh, The very landmass on which we are are found. It it just all is, is disappearing. And then verse 21. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. Notice, by the way, that as the seventh bowl is poured out, verse 17, a voice from the throne of heaven, so we assume this is either the Lord Jesus or God the Father, their voice says, it is done. It's finished. This this is the final judgment. It is the total destruction of God's enemies. And it's symbolized for us here in the cup. We have seven bowls and we have one cup. And the cup in verse 19 is the cup of the wine of the fury of God's wrath. And again, friends, that's a familiar way of describing God's judgment. This is one of the threads, this cup of the wrath of God. It's it's one of the threads that weaves its way through the whole scripture. Isaiah 51 verse 22 mentions the cup of staggering, the bowl of wrath. Psalm 75 verse 8 says that God has in his hands a cup of well-mixed foaming wine and he pours it out on all the wicked of the earth. And here in Revelation 16 verse 19, that cup is finally poured out. 
Babylon the Great, we're told, has to drink this cup. We'll think much more about that imagery of Babylon next week. But Babylon here just symbolizes the world in opposition to God. You remember when we looked at Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. And I told you then that uh, the Bible really, it, it has the city of Jerusalem and the city of Babylon. The city of the kingdom of God. The city of the kingdoms of this world. And that is the, the contest. That is the, the warfare that takes place all throughout history, all throughout scripture to this very moment today. Uh, warfare between the city of Jerusalem and the city of Babylon, symbolically, spiritually speaking. And here at the end of time, we're told that Babylon, the nations, will have to drink the full the, the full measure of the cup of God's wrath. And so Revelation 16, friends, describes God's judgments in familiar ways, describes them as being fair judgments, and describes them as being final judgments. So we thought about why these bowls are described like this, but secondly, who are these bowl judgments for? Who are these bowl judgments for? Quite simply, these bowls of God's judgment are for those who do not repent. They are for those who do not repent. And that is emphasized to us very clearly in this passage. The first bowl of judgment is poured out on those, verse 2, who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The mark of the beast was described for us back in Revelation chapter 13. It is simply those who refuse to repent of idolatry. It's those in the world today who just brazenly, arrogantly continue on in their own ways, ignoring God's word, making for themselves idols of their own imagination, whether that be the the main religions of our world, uh, Buddhism and and, uh, Islam and and those kinds of things, whether it just be the, the religion of self and the idolatry of self and humanism and secularism. The mark of the beast is that people do not repent of those things. Revelation 16 verse 9 says that when the fourth bowl, which results in agonizing pain for those in whom it is poured out. Verse 9 says that when that bowl is poured out, they curse the name of God who had power over these plagues. And notice this verse verse 9. They did not repent and give him glory. That is happening, friends, every moment of every day right now. People are suffering in our world. Nations are in turmoil in our world. But the vast majority of people do not repent. And they ask the wrong questions about the things that happen in our world. We've seen some devastating incidents just in this past week in the headlines. We saw the earthquake in Morocco. We saw those dreadful floods in Libya because of the the dams that were not properly constructed to hold back those waters. And what is the question that's asked in the headline? I saw this. One of the headlines as as the news began and, and and the situation in Libya was described. The news anchor declares, people are asking, how was this allowed to happen? It's the wrong question. The question we should ask is, if we turn to God in repentance, will he be merciful to us? And it's the same for many of the other turmoils and problems in our world tonight. 
be they economic, political, social, whatever they may be, men and women scramble around trying to find man-made solutions. Net zero. The next social policy from the government. The next... Uh, the next funding model to bring a new generation of infrastructure to the nation, whatever it may be, some of these things not wrong in and of themselves. But if they're not married with repentance and faith in Christ, they are man's solutions and they are inadequate. Same thing happens when the fifth bowl is poured out, the plague of darkness, verse 11. They curse the God of heaven for their pains and sores, They did not repent of their deeds. Again, this is echoing the Exodus. It's echoing Pharaoh who refused to repent until eventually God hardened his heart and he received the ultimate penalty. The sixth bowl, you'll notice, results in what's called the... uh, It results in the, the enemies of God gathering at the place that is called Armageddon. And notice that word Armageddon there in verse 16. Satan, the beast, the false prophet, they continue to hold sway over the nations, uh, those who have the mark of the beast and so on. And they are deceived into gathering at this place, Armageddon, in, in the mistaken notion that they will finally defeat God. They will defeat the Lamb and be free to live as they please. Now, a huge amount of ink has been spilled over this word Armageddon, even though it only appears this once in the whole book. Um, It's actually the only time in the whole New Testament the word is used. And you'll notice that it says there in verse 16 that that in Hebrew it is called Armageddon. And so depending on how you translate it in Hebrew, uh, the word means city of Megiddo or Mount of Megiddo. And once again, to understand what Revelation is saying to us, friends, with this whole gathering of these unrepentant forces at Armageddon, we need to go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the city of Megiddo was a fortress city. And it overlooked the plain of Megiddo, this wide open space in the countryside. And several important battles were fought in the plain of Megiddo. In particular, Battles were fought in which God's people seemed to be hopelessly outnumbered and were faced by determined enemies. Some of the boys and girls might remember the story of Deborah, for example, Judges 4 and 5. In the days of Deborah, the Israelites faced an army of foreign invaders who had 900 chariots and 10,000 men. And Israel was completely outnumbered. Israel's enemies refused to turn back. They entered into the plain of Megiddo. Absolutely determined to destroy the Israelites. But God miraculously rescued Israel and destroyed their enemies. And so when we read here in Revelation 16, 16, that all the enemies of God are going to assemble for battle at Armageddon. Again, in keeping with how we've understood the whole book up until now. I think the best way to understand it is not that there will be a literal physical battle that will take place at the site of Megiddo someday. But rather that until the end of time, friends, just as the enemies of Israel would not turn back, so Satan and his forces will not turn back. They will not repent. They will continue agitating against God and his people Until God brings final judgment upon them. 
Now, you can get an endless number of alternative interpretations for Armageddon. During the Cold War, people were very fond of uh, making the claim that this was going to be some big war between the United States and Russia uh, at the site of Armageddon. I just don't think any of those views are helpful or accurate. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The kingdom of God is not about one nation physically going to war with guns and bullets against another nation. Paul says our, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We, our, our fight is against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces. And so again, Revelation here is giving us a picture, a symbol. It's saying that there will be a, a final effort made by Satan and his enemies but it will result in final judgment being poured out by God. And it will be poured out upon those who refuse to repent. Maybe you're here today, this evening, or listening from another place, and you so far in your life are refusing to repent. And you need to realize that God is already pouring a measure of judgment upon our world. He may even have brought trials and difficulties into your life as a warning, as a trumpet blast, as a a bowl of wrath poured out. And whilst that might be painful for you, that is merciful to you. Because far worse lies ahead if you do not repent. Darkness, agony, death. And again, we look at our world tonight and people are asking, what is going on? Friends, the answer is the bowls of God's wrath are being poured out. That's what's going on. Just like when the dam is filled to overflowing, as literally happened in Libya last week, and some of the water needs to be released for the pressure to to, to be eased, some of God's wrath is being poured into our world already before the final deluge comes. And instead of repenting, sadly today we see men and women doing what Revelation describes, cursing God, blaspheming God. Not just by taking the name of Christ in vain, which we hear people doing almost every day of our lives. But blaspheming him by by not giving him the glory, by by not humbling themselves before him, by not worshipping him as they ought. And men and women will blame climate change or they will call murder women's health or they will go to the stadiums to worship their false gods or they will call themselves good living Protestants or good living Roman Catholics. They will do anything but repent. And if that is you this evening, you are in danger. The wrath of God is headed towards you. You must repent or you will perish. So why are the bold judgments described like this? Who are these bold judgments for? And thirdly and finally, how can we escape these judgments? How can we escape these judgments? And of course, I've already uh, emphasized that to you by the the command that we have in God's word to repent of our sin. Uh, But in the midst of these descriptions of judgment in, in Revelation 16, there is a warning. And it's a warning delivered by Jesus himself. If you look at verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. 
Jesus' words here echo his words in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42. Jesus says, therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 24 verses 42 to 44. You get ready by repenting, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to divert the cup of God's wrath away from you. Because, of course, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus came to this earth to do. That cup of God's wrath, we mentioned it earlier, Psalm 75, we'll sing it shortly, mentions this cup of God's wrath that the wicked shall drain down to its dregs. We already see some of it being poured out in our world today, of course, friends. But Jesus came into this world to take the cup of God's wrath that we deserved. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples at the moment when his enemies came to arrest him. John 18 verse 11. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? short time before that, Jesus had been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what he prayed? Matthew 26, verse 39. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, friends, came to drink the cup of the wrath of God. He who did not deserve the wrath of God came to take it so that we would not have to. You remember uh, the word that we mentioned at one of our guest services. 1 John 2 verse 2, John calls the work of Christ on the cross uh, propitiation. It's a strange word. We don't use it very often at all. But it means that something is headed towards you that would do you harm, that might even destroy you. But it gets diverted. It gets pulled away from you so that you're kept safe. That is propitiation. And again, that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. The the cup of God's wrath was going to be poured upon us. Jesus on the cross had God's wrath diverted onto him instead. And Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. And so how do we escape these bold judgments, the, the final bold judgments that are still to come? We get ready. We stop testing the patience of God that patience that will come to an end at some invisible point in the future and we turn to the one who has taken that cup of wrath in our place for our sins. Have you done that this evening? Have you repented? Have you trusted in Christ as your substitute saviour? And even for those of us who are Christians here this evening, perhaps we need to take the words of Jesus here in Revelation 16 verse 15 to heart. Jesus warns us to be ready, to be not to be found exposed. In other words, are we acting as though we're expecting the return of Jesus? Does our lifestyle, do our priorities, our interests, the things that we're most concerned about and excited for in life, do they they speak of expectation that Jesus is coming soon? The Rugby World Cup began, uh, was it last week? Uh, Maybe some of you been really looking forward to it 
And everyone knew you were looking forward to it because you bought one of the new jerseys. You have the wall chart, all the brackets, all the fixtures up in one big poster. You've printed it out so that you can fill in the scores. You've arranged your schedule so that you don't miss Ireland's matches. Your life bears witness to the fact that you're ready for this great event that you've been looking forward to. Your lives as Christians bear witness to the fact that we're ready for the Son of Man to come like a thief and to pour out the final bowl of the wrath of God. Are we urging others to be ready for that as well? If you're not a believer here tonight, God is graciously warning you again. The trumpet is sounding again. Even as some of the bowls are being poured out in your world tonight, you do not need to be destroyed. You can be saved. Please do not be deceived. Revelation 16, 13 emphasizes to us that that is what is going on in the world right now. That's why people don't repent, because they're deceived. They're being deceived by Satan and the beasts and the false prophets into thinking that they can just continue on as they are and somehow do without God's judgment in their lives. And if you fill your life with hobbies and screen time and me time and never give a thought to your soul and never repent, then you will be destroyed by the wrath of God. You will have that cup poured out in full measure upon you. But there is another cup for us to take. Just last week we came to the Lord's table here in Dremore and we took a cup. A cup reminding us of Christ's bloodshed. A cup symbolising the grace and mercy of God to us. Is that the cup that you're drinking from? Or are you in danger of the seventh bowl being poured upon you? Jesus says this evening, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming. At an hour you do not expect.